and she just came out fast and furious kind of it was like a 10 hour labor and pushed three times and she was in my arms and my whole world changed um, my whole world changed and i just remember staring at her face and just thinking she was the most beautiful little darling her lips like i remember her lips being very dainty and her features being very petal like and just she was my best friend and she continues to just be that goddess daughter sister uh, queen reflection for me you know and as i've grown with ava we've gotten to share a lot of our uh, womanhood together you know raising her in a way where ceremony is present and uh, reverence is present and openness about our bodies. I remember at a very young age, Ava would ask about the eggs in her ovaries and kind of touch her hips. And we talk about how those eggs in her ovaries were formed while she was in my belly and they could grow into her children and my grandchildren. And we have this like uh, sort of connected nurturing of her womb space. Welcome to the Heart of the Soul podcast. My name is Amana and I'm your host. I am a wild earth mama living in the Pacific Northwest with my soul flame and our two earthside wildlings. I have lived most of my life afraid of speaking my truth. And although the fear remains, I am choosing the path of the brave and bold and I'm sharing my voice to the world. Here you will find personal, heartfelt stories and insights coming from my unique lens, as well as conversations with other amazing women in my web of life who have incredible wisdom and stories to share. I truly believe that there is more that unites us than divides us. Birth and death are always a part of our human experience. Please join me in the creation of the Heart of the Soul community as together we breathe life back into storytelling and remember what it means to be wild, human, and alive. <sighs> Today I am honored to be here with Jessie J. Ma, my soul sister. Mm, Ma, where do I even begin? Jesse and I have nurtured our friendship together for over eight years. I have had the incredible honor of witnessing Maiden, I'm going to cry, Maiden <laughs> Jesse step into JMA motherhood with such divine strength and wisdom. Jesse has blossomed into this incredible queen of peace, light, and love. She has grown and shared her gifts of yoga, meditation, ceremony and mothering wisdom with me throughout the years. Jema even gifted me with my name, Amana. <sighs> Jema has walked alongside me and supported me in ways I never could have asked for myself, but that I absolutely needed. Jesse held sacred space for me for my unexpected experiences of motherhood, including the deaths of my womblings and baby. Jesse, you are truly such a unique and divine soul sister in my life and the lives of my family. 
I am eternally grateful for you and feel limitlessly connected to you across time and space. Thank you so much for gathering with me today to share your unique stories of your life and the ways that they have stirred your soul. Thank you. Thank you, sister. I am always grateful to sit with you and speak these stories. And I also appreciate so much how you awaken the feeling in all of the stories, you know, your softness, your depth. Mm, it inspires me. And so I'm so grateful to be a part of anything that you're doing, anything that you're creating, because I know it will be filled with mama nature, filled with depth, filled with feeling. So thank you. Thank you for having me. Mm, thank you for being here. Would you like to introduce yourself a little bit about who you are and yeah. your journey of life? Yes, I would. Uh, my name is Jessie Carlson, as Amana said. I was born and raised in Wenatchee, Washington, central Washington. And I grew up in a loving family uh, who nurtured a lot in me. I've been thinking a lot about my parents lately and sort of what they instilled in me at a young age and how that has transcended into my motherhood and who I am as a mother. Um, also, how I've journeyed through pregnancy and birth and loss in the past 10 years and how my parents sort of laid that foundation in me of how to traverse challenge, you know, and what characteristics or what personality traits uh, were instilled from a young age. I've definitely had a moment to really sit and observe that and be grateful for that. Uh, yes. Yeah, so as I grew from Wenatchee, from my parents' home, I eventually met my partner. I was 23 years old when I met Kelly and it was love at first sight. Uh, when I first saw him, I had never seen anyone like him. He had long red dreadlocks and just looked like he climbed out of some forest. <laughs> like, where do men like this come from? You know, it was one of those moments where I, my world was kind of blown open. And I remember seeing him, and then his beautiful girlfriend walked up behind him. <laughs> and I remembered being like, of course, <laughs> these men are not always single. Not usually. And so uh, it, had, it was a full year from when I first saw Kelly until we decided or uh, stepped into the time and space where we could be partners. And so the following year on actually the same ground, uh, the Tenasket Barter Fair land, which we share that connection because Amana also met her beloved <laughs> on the same land. So I love that. Uh, but it was that next year that I saw Kelly again and he says one moment he remembers specifically of our first weekend on that land together was watching me dance in a hailstorm. And I have heard him tell our children that and just speak fondly of that memory from the weekend. And I think that sort of speaks to my path in motherhood as well. You know, sort of that wild light, that wild joy even amidst um, conditions that aren't perfect or aren't uh, what most would consider desirable. Uh, 
so I love that little tidbit of our first weekend together and how it sort of translates into later in our relationship. Uh, and with Kelly and I, you know, it was fast and furious. We fell in love. Uh, I decided to move to Seattle to be closer to him. We ended up living together uh, because the rent was so cheap if we shared a room. <laughs> and so we ended up moving in together after two months of courtship. And then about eight weeks later, we conceived Ava. And uh, it was surprising <laughs> and it was beautiful. And I think that it was really special that we were still in that honeymoon high of just being very optimistic and feeling very excited to let our love grow and feeling very connected. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But it also came with the flip side of not knowing each other as well as most couples do when they conceive or still being young and figuring out ourselves. I was 23 and Kelly was 29. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I will say though, that Ava's pregnancy was just so fun because I was, you know, it was that mother to mate or made into mother shift where I was doing a lot of dancing, a lot of bathtubs, a lot of rubbing, you know, a lot of personal self-care that you really only kind of get with the first babe, you know, when you don't have a, a lot of other responsibilities outside of your womb. So I really loved, loved that part of Ava's pregnancy where I felt very active and very vibrant. And uh, sweet Ava Love was born near the summer solstice in June of 2012. And she was born at Highline Medical Center in Burien. And she just came out fast and furious, kind of. It was like a 10-hour labor and pushed three times. And she was in my arms and my whole world changed. Oh, my whole world changed. And I just remember staring at her face and just thinking she was the most beautiful little darling. Her lips, like I remember her lips being very dainty and her features being very petal-like and just, she was my best friend. And she continues to just be that goddess, daughter, sister, uh, queen reflection for me, you know? And as I've grown with Ava, we've gotten to share a lot of our uh, womanhood together, you know, raising her in a way where ceremony is present and uh, reverence is present and openness about our bodies. I remember at a very young age, Ava would ask about the eggs in her ovaries and kind of touch her hips. And we talk about how those eggs in her ovaries were formed while she was in my belly and they could grow into her children and my grandchildren. And we have this like um, sort of connected nurturing of her womb space. And at one point, I think she was like three, she was eating vegetables of some sort, maybe some broccoli and drinking some water. And she goes, mom, I'm doing this for my eggies in my belly. And, you know, she was just speaking to how to tend her womb, you know? And so the gift of Ava, my daughter, is just that she's such a clear mirror of uh, sort of the red tent stories and the matriarchal light that we pass from 
grandmother to mother to daughter to grandchildren, you know? Uh, so I just love Ava and her womb wisdom already. She feels very open to ask questions and we've, uh, you know, use my menstrual blood. We've diluted it with water and done paintings together on top of mantras. And I just feel very grateful that I have a daughter who is being raised in a way to revere the shedding of the woman, to know that, you know, when a woman menstruates, it's like a moon cycle where the moon gets really bright and white, and then it has to wane back into its darkness and it has a full cycle of release and receive. And so for her to understand that that magic is in her body, even before she begins menstruating, like she holds that power in her womb and that cycling, even before it's tangible. I think if we can bring, bring the awareness back of how potent that energy is. I think a lot of healing can be done uh, among sisters and among mothers and among maidens and crones, all of it. You know, we heal the, the universal womb when each, each layer gets healed. And as a child, what a beautiful, pure time to start to honor your womb. Absolutely. I know when I was growing up, I didn't have, my mother didn't speak about her blood or, you know, share the wisdom of it with me. So I think that's amazing that Ava is growing up with you as her mother and having that reverence for her womb at such a young age. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so after Ava, um, we became pregnant with Arrow and we were still living in Seattle at that time. And when I became pregnant with Era, I felt, I felt a draw back to Wenatchee, back to my hometown. I felt like uh, Ava and I could rock the city life one-on-one. -on -one. We were like homies. We had it down. You know, I'd just put her in the sling and go to concerts and go to the zoo and go to parks and it was nothing. And then when I got pregnant with Era, I was like, eh, <laughs> I might need a little bit more help. <laughs> so... Um, I decided, we decided when I was about uh, seven months pregnant with Arrow to move back to Wenatchee. And so we moved back to Wenatchee and that was beautiful. I felt uh, embraced by the valley and I was so grateful to be able to give birth in my hometown. That was a huge, uh, beautiful thing with Arrow's birth was to give birth in the Wenatchee Valley. Was such a gift. Uh, Amana, you attended my birth then. And it's so Amana attended my birth and then she had her wedding two days after. Was it two? He was born on the 24th. Or three days after. Three days after. Yes. So Amana is like the superstar <laughs> of all. Do I, I want to use the word doula, but even you're like the next, like you're, you break the shell of doulaism. You were like, <laughs> sister birthing sister birthing sister like so uh so present so beautiful and the the wild thing about arrow's birth was that <laughs> ava the night before i had chipped her tooth and was in ava was two two years and a few months had chipped her tooth and was in excruciating pain poor sis so we were like oh dueling you came and like doula to ava a little bit <laughs> like ava full-on went into labor 
right before I went into labor. And really we had weaned her off of mama milk a few months prior. Mm -hmm. And when she hurt her tooth, I was like, I got to give her milk. Like I need to comfort her. So I started nursing her and that's when I started having contractions. And so you came, stayed with us. None of us got any sleep. We were all up like every 30 minutes, every hour (laughs) tending to Ava. And, um, (laughs) and then the next morning I remember going to the dentist's office to get Ava's tooth taken care of. And they offered to like give us antibiotics and then pull it in six weeks or pull it that morning. And I remember being like, I'm having contractions Uh, and they weren't intense, but I was definitely crampy in my stomach, you know, from all of the nursing. So I was like, no, we need to uh, take care of this blessed tooth. Let's just, you know, take care of it. So mama can have the baby and we can all just kind of settle into some comfort. So Ava got her tooth tended to, and then we had a full nother evening. And I remember uh, that evening, Kelly drumming for us and staying at my parents' house. And then uh, Ava stayed there while we went the next morning and labored mostly at my house. You were very with present in my contractions and helping me, you know, stay calm in every surge. And I remember at the point where you're like, yeah, they're getting pretty close together. Maybe we should reach out. So we reached out. And then on the way there, I really thought Era was going to be born in the car. (laughs) I was like feeling it. We got there and the midwife checked me and she was like, well, you're at a nine. And I was like, I know. (laughs) I definitely feel that. (laughs) Yes. I remember calling the birth assistant being like, and don't dawdle, just come right away. Yes, yes, yes. And then uh, we got there. That was so empowering. And I know that your presence there empowered me and having Susie empowered me. And you were just, yeah, tell everyone how you birthed this boy of yours. Yes, yes. So I tried hands and knees. I was like kind of cat cowing a little. And then I was like, no, I need to stand up. I remember pushing a few times on hands and knees and being like, nope, standing up. And that is so Arrow's personality is like full warrior mode, uh, standing birth. So I got up in that goddess squat, pushed a few times. I remember with Arrow's birth, I looked down and when he was crowning, I saw a blue lotus. I'll never forget it. It was probably one of my most psychedelic visions of any of my births was his blue lotus head. Um, and he came out and it was just such a serene, beautiful moment. I remember playing reggae music when arrow was born and Susie was like wow that's cool I've, I don't know if I've ever been to a birth that was bumping reggae music <laughs> when they were born so arrow was definitely uh, a strong warrior birth for sure and I remember loving uh, the placenta pl- prints that we did after his birth and just mm-hmm. he was born in the morning time which Ava and Asher's births were both in the evening. So I think there was something really special about Arrow. It was like 10 42 AM, just that morning light and that feeling of like being awake and feeling alive and feeling kind of jovial and social, uh, bless his heart. Mm-hmm. And then Ashy, uh, baby number three, who I feel blessed that Amana got to be at that birth as well. Asher, we had moved back to Seattle and we conceived Asher in Seattle. And um, he was a January baby. And I remember looking at the astronomy of Asher's birth and just thinking like, okay, where is he gonna land uh, when I'm in this potent ripe stage? And Ashy ended up being born on his due date, January 20th. 
under a full lunar eclipse moon at home. So Errol, we went to the birthing center and he was born at a birthing center. Ava was born at a hospital and then Ashley was born at home. And I remember sitting on my living room couch and just watching the moon turn pink and then red. And it was just so powerful. I remember pacing kind of like a lioness back and forth in front of my fire. And I lit up some frankincense and copal resin and had like uh, the coal burning throughout the pregnancy or throughout the labor. And I remember getting a hold of you, Amana, her dear soul. <laughs> flew all the way to me from Spokane to Seattle like a champ flew to come support me and it was hard to know when to tell her like you know okay now come or maybe we can wait a little longer especially with baby number three like sometimes it can be an hour or two sometimes yeah. it can still be like 36 hours so it was hard to navigate uh but I knew that no matter when you arrived it would be perfect because you are like, you could hold space for as much of the pre-birth as I needed. I knew that you would hold space well while I was in my deep labor. And then of course your postpartum gifts are just ah, so good. So good. So Asher was born in the call at 10 57 I believe it was later evening the full moon eclipsed at like 9 30 p.m and he was born about an hour later at uh, close to 11 and I just remember you and I sitting up and speaking all night and I was so charged up with you there and like from giving birth like the oxytocin was pumping uh I was just so excited I felt like a little girl at like the first night of summer camp where you just you're not gonna stop talking so we talked and talked and talked and talked and then I'd stop and then I'd be like one more thing one more thing <laughs> and we talked probably like three or four in the morning and then I was like okay we really should go to sleep and even then I think I was still like just giggling because I wanted to keep talking <laughs> yes Oh, and you were such a queen. You helped me process my placenta. You, um, you know, made me soup and brought fresh baked bread and held the baby when I needed a hand and gave Kelly and I space and played with our other children and just, oh, bless me. That was like the greatest gift. And since that moment, I mean, Kelly has always loved you. And even before Ash's birth, he was like, yeah, she can come anytime. She can stay as long as she wants, you know, it's all good. It's a mana. Like that's it's a mana. It's all good. And I'm like, yes. But after that, he was literally like, whatever she needs, Jesse, you can just go do it. Whenever, oh, whenever oh, she needs it, Jesse, oh. just go. <laughs> Bless his heart. So and Kelly is not the most social, you know. He's a very focused man. He lives in the moment. He like gets his day-to-day -day done, but he doesn't really like plan a lot of his social events or, you know. I don't know. Maybe I'm just overly social. So in comparison, <laughs> not very social, but I will say that Kelly deeply, deeply loves and appreciates you and just, uh, welcomes you into our space. No questions asked. You know, he's like, our house can be a total mess. It doesn't matter. Amana's always welcome, you know, <laughs> like, bring her over. Bring that's, her over. <laughs> that's the best. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So those were so special. I'm so grateful to have you at the birth of my three boys or my two boys. And it feels like, you know, you're an Ava's connection is definitely from the beginning. So mm -hmm. absolutely. So 
And then, oh, sweet Leah. Mm. Mm. Also holding such space for me in those moments. And uh, Leah, my daughter, we conceived in June of 2020. And she was a total surprise. She arrived after my first menstruation, after birthing Asher. So with all of my babies, I my um, moon cycle didn't come back until 14 to 20 months. With Asher, it was 20 months. So that's a long time, you know. Well, I guess it's all comparative. But to me, that's a long time. Wow. So I waited and waited and waited. Uh, and then my menstrual cycle came back on Mother's Day weekend, like two days before Mother's Day. Uh, when I was visiting Wenatchee, I was like driving into town. And I remember every time we drive into Wenatchee, we like scream to the river. We're like, hello, did it? We like scream whatever we're feeling, right? And I remember being like, oh, Columbia, you're looking beautiful. And I just start like praising the river. And I felt my moon come back, right? And that moment I was like, oh my goodness, hello, <laughs> Wenatchee, you know? I was like, this is exciting. I feel like such a woman. I'm going into Mother's Day. This is great. <laughs> and then, um, <laughs> Uh, yes, I just had a beautiful time in Wenatchee that experience that Mother's Day. And then June came along and I was waiting for my cycle, waiting for my cycle. And I was like, oh, well, you know, it could be a little bit of a longer cycle. This is like my first, I'm still getting everything kind of the wheels turning again. And then I kept waiting and then I kept waiting and I was like, oh, hmm, hmm. You know, as a woman, you have these moments where you're like, huh interesting. <laughs> and so I definitely just had those moments of like, interesting. Um, and I checked like my, I have an app with all of my uh, moon cycle days. And I also note when Kelly and I are intimate on my app so that I can get kind of a clear range of, you know, my, my cycle, a clear view of it. And so I checked back and I was like, well, it would have to be really far off, but I guess there's a small chance. It was like day 28 or 30, but maybe with a longer cycle. So I ended up waiting another week and no blood returns. And then I was like, well, it's probably time to take a test and just, you know, check it out. So on my mother's birthday, June 29th, I took a pregnancy test and it came back positive. And then I took another one. <laughs> just to make sure. And that one came back positive. And I remember Kelly was on the phone doing work and I came out of the bathroom and Ava like locked eyes with me and she was like, what's up mom? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh sis, I love you. I just need to sit down. And I like sat down and was like a little hysterical, not crying, but just kind of like smiling and like, oh my gosh, she could tell I was just like a deer in headlights, right? Like had just had my mind blown. And uh, she was like, no, mom, really tell me what's going on. And so I was like, okay, I'll tell you. And so I ended up telling Ava first that we were pregnant. And she was like, oh my gosh, this is so exciting. This is great. I was like, we need to take a walk, Ava. Come on a walk with me. And so Kelly watched the boys. He had gotten off the phone. He watched the boys. And Ava and I decided to go on a walk. And we went on a little walk and just talked it out. We were like, should we tell dad? Should we, you know? It was very much like Ava and Ma time. Like, how are we going to work this out, you know? And she kind of talked my sense back into me. And then we went back to the house and we did a drawing. And I remember drawing a tree with a bunch of little trees. I drew like Kelly as a tree, me as a tree. Ava, Arrow, Asher, and then I did like a little seed with like a little sprout on it. And I, I um, wrote 
were growing below it. And then Ava drew me holding a baby in her picture. And then we ended up, Kelly came in and we said, hey, we drew you some pictures on the table and we handed him the pictures. And he just was like, uh, <laughs> I had no words, no words at all. He was like, totally a shock. And I remember videotaping this. And then a few weeks later, I showed it to him and he was like, man, I really wish I would have been more, you know, happy or excited or supportive. And I think he had a moment where he was like, but he was just so shocked, you know, in those moments where you're totally unexpected and you're like, ah, ah. <laughs> so, um, yes. But after a few weeks, like I said, Kelly was very, very excited. Yes. And he's always wanted a big family. Is that true? Yes. Yes. He's always wanted a big family. And he also comes from a big family. So I'm one of four and Kelly's one of five. And then both of our, all of our parents are one of four or five as well. So we've always been raised with a lot of cousins um, and a lot of siblings and a lot of aunts and uncles, which I love that feeling. I love the vibe. And, you know, three feels really good for us. Uh, but the door is open, you know, the door is open. So, uh, being the woman that I am, I like ordered a blood test right away so that I could find out the gender. <laughs> um, I was feeling very much like a wild pregnancy with Leah. So I did not, uh, feel like going to the midwives and getting that blood draw done. I decided to do it privately at home. And I sent in the results and I remember checking my email and checking my email and checking my email. And Ava and I really were like, it's a girl. It's going to be a girl, you know, and the results came back that it was a girl. And we were so stoked. I remember you were one of the first people I called because I was so excited and especially being due so close to Charlo's birthday. And I was like, oh, girl power, sister power, we got this, you know, so, so happy. And still, even to this day, even as how everything has unfolded and changed, like those moments of happiness don't go away, you know, like ah, those moments of happiness are worth it. And uh, the fact that you can be in such love and in such bliss, uh, because you can't foresee exactly how things are going is truly, I think, a gift in this life, you know, to like really just be in the moment and be so happy and uh, feel so blessed and be so grateful for what is right now without the attachment of how it's going to change or eventually not be how it is right now, I think is one of the greatest gifts that I've gotten through this whole experience. Um, so I carried on through the summer with Leah. We went swimming a lot. I remember being very drawn into like, uh, like Washington and the Columbia river and the kids would want to just go swim and swim and swim. And so we spent so much time by the waterside and, uh, Leah's energy is definitely like a water baby, you know, like water girl. So we did a lot of that. I also purchased some paddle boards while I was pregnant with her. So I went paddle boarding for the first time with her in my belly. Uh, and I love that. I love that experience. It made me feel very kind of um, ancient, you know, of like being really quiet and kind of like paddling over water is just a very uh, primal feeling for me you know, to be close to the trees and on a pathway that isn't electronic, you know, or it doesn't have cars and gasoline. It's like a very pure pathway. Uh, so she really awakened that in my life. 
Um, yeah, and then September came along and I was getting ready to announce to the public that we were expecting. I had planned to announce on the uh, autumn equinox and I was gonna speak to you know our family coming into balance just like the day and the night and uh, you know two daughters and two sons and just what a beautiful balance that is and a few days before the equinox I was in Wenatchee and I woke up to some light pink spotting and when I first saw it uh, of course, when you're pregnant and I had no experience with spotting before, when you first see it, you're like alarmed, but also hopeful and everything I was reading, you know, and I also like dive in like, okay, spotting at 16 weeks. What does this mean? What can I find before going into like someone to see an ultrasound, you know, before taking it to the next level, I decided to kind of look at a lot of things are stay hopeful. It's okay. It's normal. But then also I felt the balance of needing to set my phone down and check in with my body and check in with my baby. And I think we live in a time that's interesting because in a lot of ways as mothers, we need external, we don't need it. We seek external confirmation or external advice um, or external wisdom and while there's a power to that of like seeing statistics or hearing stories with outcomes that you'd like to connect with or um, you know there's something to the hive mind and to the the womb of every woman that can serve us and our story but also we've really got to come back in, you know, we've really got to come back inside and just um, be with our bodies and be with our wombs and listen, because there's so much speaking, you know, there's so much speaking through us, speaking within us that we might miss if we turn the gaze too far outward. So I remember initially popping into my phone and being like, what's happening? And then I also remember hearing a clear voice say, no, you need to set down the phone. You need to be in your body. And that morning I actually went and taught two yoga classes. It was the first time going back into the yoga studio since February 29th, right before COVID hit. And so I remember going back into the studio with this like wisdom in me of what's happening or that something's happening. Uh, I very much felt like I was at a threshold, like a doorway that I was preparing to walk through. And I just remember that those yoga classes felt so holy and um, so purifying and so uh, sanctifying. You know, they like brought me into my, sanctuary they brought me into my holiness mm -hmm. and into my purpose and they allowed me to uh walk through the next few days which I feel like was like so powerful such a portal to walk through um and just be present in the dance of life and death yeah be present. And 
I was thinking about this. Uh, I was thinking about my dad and how I clearly, one of the most potent memories I have of my dad is when in my hometown, uh, wildfires come through in the summertime and not always close to town, but always in the region that I'm from, wildfires are common. And I remember one time a fire was uh, in Wenatchee and starting to surround the hills around our house. And I remember we had, and it was kind of hopping, like hopped somewhere in town. And it was, it was close. We were close to a raging fire. And I remember my sister coming over. And so my whole family was at my dad's house and um, we were like outside watching the fire and just very alert. And I remember my dad sitting peacefully in his recliner and we were like, dad, what are we going to do? And he was like, it's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. We're going to stay, you know, and just his, his overall demeanor of being calm in the eye of the storm and being present and having like a steadfast, um, contentment, even so close to this raging wildfire. Uh, I felt that, you know, I felt that. And I really feel like I do get that energy from my dad, Mm -hmm. this sort of, um, unwaveringness of gratitude or like, uh, fearlessness of death. You know, my dad has also spoken a lot to like everything, having its time and its purpose and just, uh, letting that be okay you know, and being okay in that. So as Leah came through in an early birth, I definitely felt like I was facing a fire. And I also felt like my whole life leading up to that experience had prepared me and, uh, you know, had prepared me to be purified by that fire and to be, um, kind of broken or shattered into a better form, if that makes sense. And I also have to give thanks for, uh, you know, the sisters who gathered around me during that experience, you, Mm. Alana, Nora, um, just some of the sisters who have really faced that same fire in their own way. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the interesting thing about child loss or child transition or having, um, cosmic children is the paths are very similar but they're all unique you know and so we learn so much from each other uh, when we witness each other go through that and when we can see from our own lens what we need in those moments it helps us to offer others what they might need in those moments and to just be present in a different deeper kind of way so I feel so grateful to have crossed that bridge when I did because I did have friends who could relate and I did have friends who had the emotional maturity to be present and to be generous and I'll never forget you rubbing my feet and soaking my feet and rubbing them in oil and I've always just carried that with me um, since you did that. And it really, I mean, I've had pedicures done before and I've had my feet loved, but something in that moment felt so deep and felt so healing and nourishing. And 
I just remember feeling blessed and feeling like um, I could allow this experience to dance me in a way of beauty and of closeness and of connection because of the sisters who surrounded me and because of the life experiences that brought me into that moment. Mm. So while, you know, the grief and I feel like uh, the contraction of that experience is definitely present. And I don't want to downplay that and say it was all beautiful because it definitely came with a lot of tears and some primal sounds and Um, I remember at some points just feeling, like I said, a contraction, like wanting to sit with my knees up in my chest and just hug my body Mm -hmm. in. And just that feeling of getting really small and feeling really small. Like I didn't have control over this outcome. Like I was a child again, losing my favorite toy, you know, but in this bigger way, in this motherhood way of like, I wanted, I had already dreamed of all the memories that Leah and I would have together. Leodora, I had already like placed her lovingly in our family lineup. You know, I had already ordered her clothing and imagined where she would sleep and how the children would get along with her. And I'd already written, I'd already began writing her story. You know, yes. And then, yes. Would you share the ceremony that you created to release her body down by the river? Yes. So I'm very grateful that I was able to birth Leah at my parents' house in Wenatchee. Uh, I did end up going in and getting an ultrasound and they saw that her uh, body was still very small, about nine to 10 weeks. Uh, So I was able to birth her at home and be able to return her body in my own way, which I felt super grateful for. Uh, because I really did want an unassisted birth was my birth plan for her was to try to have, I would, I asked Amon if she would be there, but I really wanted a wild unassisted birth, you know, going down the chain of my births. I thought that would be the perfect um, connection for me and Leah to have this wild birth. And in a lot of ways, I still got that because I was up in my childhood bedroom birthing her and I was able to birth her over a glass bowl. And I added flowers and herbs, sunflowers and rosemary and lavender um, and lilacs to that bowl. And then uh, on the autumn equinox, I invited a few close sisters. Uh, We had a few children that came. Ava came with me and we all gathered and we sang together and we spoke words and scripture and shared songs and dance and um, just circled up with a drum and lit incense. And we just saw each other. I felt very seen and I felt very held. And I can't explain the therapy and the medicine that that was for that process for me to feel held, especially after a year where I felt very isolated, you know, 2020 had been a very isolating year as a mother. Um, I was alone a lot. 
you know? So to be surrounded by people that I loved and cared for and could share this experience with was very, very potent. And because Leah was such a water girl, I decided to carry her in at the end of the ceremony. Uh, we sang, we all come from the goddess as we approached the shoreline. And I carried the bowl with me into the water and then took a deep breath and said a prayer for safety called upon the grandmothers and the mothers and the earth mother and those flowing waters to uh, take her to the ocean and take her home to source. And I dipped down with her under the water, full emergence and set her free into mm -hmm. one of my favorite places, the most sacred waters where I have shed many tears and felt lots of bliss uh, and I still go back often uh, on her due date. We went back there and set some roses and wrote some poetry and sang some songs. And uh, it will always be a sacred, sacred space for me on this earth, that point. So giving thanks for that, giving thanks to bring that back into our community too. Um, mm -hmm. And you inspired that when you had Hartley's Blessing Way, just like, allowing us to gather and be together and be in ritual and in ceremony, even when it's not, um, you know, the happiest of moments or uh, the most joyful, like gathering in ceremony for rites of passage and for heartache and for, you know, divorcing or child loss these things are times when you really do need community but i think in a lot of ways people have lost the words or the ways to call for help in those times and so i think it's so important to weave the support system back into those life transitions uh, we need each other you know and that's the other thing 2020 have showed me that like we humans need each other. We need to hold each other. Like we need to be held. We need to hold. We need to see. We need to be seen. We need to speak to each other. We need to be spoken to. This is so potent. This is so important. Uh, so really, really feeling that. And I just, I cannot speak enough to how much my community helped carry the weight of that experience and continues to help me carry the weight of that experience. Uh, I feel very blessed. And the autumn equinox, I mean, is that time of remembering how to let go mm -hmm. and remembering how to harvest. And so like the, the fall will never come again without a very deep meaning and a very deep lesson. Uh, it will forever arrive and I will have such gratitude for all that is being you know, harvested and all that is being released and just honoring, honoring that practice of being able to let go just as much as we honor being able to receive. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like learning that sometimes letting go is potent, potent energy for transcending and ascending. Like in order to ascend to this higher plane, there's got to be that um, ability to release. Yeah. And Leah also taught me, you know, or reminded me that it's okay to have a different path and it's okay for people to have a different path and it's okay for people to honor their soul contract in their own way. 
And of course I have moments of wishing she was here and wishing it was different, but also I have a deep respect for her and for what her path was in my womb and how that was her time was just inside my uterus. Like what a sacred path to come through. And I think we've talked about this before with your Mm -hmm. womblings as well as like, how beautiful, how beautiful to just be a womb dwelling embodied spirit and then go straight to cosmic universal love. Like (laughs) I I'm not here to judge that path. I'm not here to judge that path at all for my own selfish, like earth needs, you know, and also just, I think a lot of it comes down to like honoring your own um, mortality and just honoring that we all meet in whatever you believe comes after death. Like we will all meet there, whatever that looks like to each person. So I also believe that I have journeyed through that in my own mind with my own modalities, be it yoga or meditation or psychedelics or, um, you know, education, reading books, uh, diving deep into my heart and mind. I have peered through that window and my vision of it is beautiful. And I have a deep acceptance of that. And I think that that's a really important thing to, when you're living life is to like, um, think about death and how to make death sacred and, how important that is for living a good life, you know, mm-hmm. how important that is to uh, respect those who have carried on and, ha- and finding ways, you know, practicing ways, showing up with ways that you can respect that journey onward. Mm-hmm. So that's something that really interests me. And that's something that really uh, I was remembering as Leah came through so quickly, uh, how to honor death. And in that, honoring life you know honoring life yes life and death are the two sides and without one we cannot have the other and um I've been reflecting over the past months about how with our womb that each time we we have this alive egg that then either is fertilized and continues to live or dies and sheds from our womb so our womb space is always this portal for both life and death Yes. Yes. I love that. Mm. Aliyah also reminded me um, of purpose. Yeah. So she came through. And one of the things I felt after she had transitioned, it was a few weeks after, was she really called me to like lift my crown. I felt a lot of crown energy and a lot of connection to heaven and a lot of connection to uh, like legacy. Yeah. And not just like what her legacy would be on me, but also what legacy I was leaving for when I turned the bend of life and entered the next realm. Like what would I leave behind and what can I leave behind that would be helpful and useful and, um, you know, sturdy for my children? How can I help 
their foundation and their hearts and them not feel so sad or lonely. Um, and I really started digging into like family traditions or family rituals or uh, just what my presence is as a mother. Uh, when Leah transitioned, I felt inspired to deepen and strengthen my presence as a mother. And also as a woman, you know, not just as a mother, but also as a woman. Uh, so I started making a commitment to get deeper into my yoga teachings and to do more yoga with my children, more breathing with my children. Uh, we were, we're homeschooling this year. So it's been nice to be able to sort of weave in my own JMA teachings into my homeschool where we do like daily yoga or breathing exercises or tea parties. You know, we like serve tea together with our tea set. <laughs> and uh, so just being more present in those offerings. And then Leah's original due date when she was conceived was on March 1st. And I started on March 1st, a 40 day yoga offering of videos every day. I'm on day 26 right now, and it's a free flow offering, which means I don't have it all written out. Hindsight, I was like, yeah, maybe I should have written it out. <laughs> maybe it would have been easier if I would have like made a plan and then wake up and do this, right? <laughs> but I also really just appreciate and love being in the moment and listening to spirit and listening to my body and what it feels like expressing, what it feels like moving. And, uh, it's been this really beautiful journey of accountability, you know, like rising up every day and being like, yes, I'm accountable for this day. I'm going to offer this. And this beautiful journey of just, I feel like all of us have so many gifts in us. There's like art and words and skills and love and bliss and all of these things that we can just like give to the world and for me, that is yoga. And that is just like creating a space where interesting questions can be asked and deep words can be spoken and the body can move in prayer. You know, the body can move in shape mm -hmm. in prayer. And I love yoga so much because I feel my energy like move through the waterways of my body differently when I tend to my body, you know, and I think we can all relate to this in some way. Everyone has some sort of movement, I hope, that they love. And uh, when you do that, whether it's dancing or basketball or jump rope or running or hiking or anything, walking, when you do that, you can feel the surge of source energy, right? You can feel that <sighs> prana, you know, and yoga's prana, life force, you know? So, committing to this has been so beautiful and so inspiring. And as I'm sure you can relate to Amana, when you start to walk your Dharma or live your purpose, like inspiration can like comes in just from the practice of showing up, you mm -hmm. know, and it's not perfect. I like wish that I had the perfect uh, backdrop and a beautiful yoga studio to record in and all the nice all the nice equipment that comes from that. But also there's something really childlike and playful and humble and fun 
about just doing it. Absolutely. I've had to do do the same thing. Like be okay with not things not being perfect because I am a bit of a perfectionist. So having to sort of let that go and let things be has definitely been a journey and a lesson for me. And I heard another woman speaking about it recently, how she sort of had her journey publicly as well. And that she's actually had a lot of people be like, thank you for like being vulnerable and like doing it in that way, like that was open and we could watch you shift and change over time and not just like start out as this perfect, whatever it is, you know? Yes. Yes. So, And even as I do this, I like wish that I would have started it when I was 24 and just started teaching yoga, you know, like I would love my 24 year old stuff, like to be telling me the cues, like what cues did I even use then? You know, like how did I even guide people, uh, through this. And I started teaching when Ava was six months old, I got my first job teaching at a gold's gym on Capitol Hill in Seattle. And that's when I began. And then, you know, I ended up teaching in Wenatchee and a lot of, I've lived many yoga lives in many different places. And so I'm so grateful to uh, make an online presence. And the most special thing, when I first started recording these, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to like, source willing, I will be able to be like an 80 year old woman doing yoga to myself, to my 33 year old self, you oh, know, like yes. my younger self, guiding my crone self with my wisdom from motherhood, from this chapter in my life that feels so potent and so ripe and so deep and so heavy and exhausting <laughs> and wonderful. <laughs> and, you know, like all the feels y'all know me, yes. you have young kids or you're in the birthing pregnancy, you know, hormones are like powerful. It's like a fire, ocean fire, you know? It's, yes, it's postpartum powerful. and nursing oh. and yes. Yes, all these things. So I'm just so grateful that Leah gave me the push to be like, you're good enough, mom. Get your crown on straight and go lead your yoga classes. Like, even if they're not perfect, even if you think they're silly, you know, one of mine that I just listen to an audio book called laughter yoga <laughs> and it's so silly. And I've been doing it in my classes uh, because I speak to right now we're in the springtime. Right. And I'm like, if the wheel of the year was a human spring would be the baby or the child, you know, spring would be like the tiny little child. So I've been calling it in my yoga teachings, a lot of like childlike energy and in laughing yoga, you go, ho, ho, ha, ha, ha. Very good. Very good. Yay. Ho, Oh, ha ha ha. Very good. Very good. Yay. So I'm like doing this YouTube video all by myself. Like, ho, ho, ha, ha, ha. Very good. Very good. Yay. And I'm just like cracking up at myself. Like, is this really what I'm doing? But yes, this is J Moss style. You know, like this is what I would really be doing if you were in my yoga class. Like I would have you do this because that's just who I am. And that's what I like to do. <laughs> and I like to be silly. And there's something very human about it you know because I feel like sometimes yoga instructors will be very um wise and composed and uh I appreciate that but I also have been in yoga classes where yoga teachers are very human and have like kind of a dry sense of humor or will mess up and be like oops sorry did that leg twice you know like and I just there's something really beautiful about showing up human uh in these spaces, you know, especially now it's like, let's be real. Let's be authentic, you know, yes. let's keep it honest. So, 
uh, it's been a really, really beautiful journey. And uh, Ava has also loved to tap into my yoga offerings. And that in itself makes it 100% worth it because she'll be like, mom, before I go to bed, can I just do one of your YouTube videos? And so I'll be witnessing my eight-year-old daughter sitting on my yoga mat, doing my yoga flow. And she like, we'll finish the flow and then give me some feedback. You know, she's like, that was the best one, mom. Thank you. I loved how you did this. And just the other day, she, I was in the back nursing Asher, putting him down for his nap. And I hear Ava, she's recording on her iPod, a yoga video. She was like, let's just begin in a seated position, ground down through your body, feel the earth. I was like, oh, my heart. So these things, this is what I mean. Like the legacy and the, the presence of being truly present with yourself, with your children, with the experiences in your life, and knowing that all of us, I really truly believe that all of us come to this world with a purpose um, and with gifts that are within us that just need to be unwrapped. And I think that, of course, having nurturing and positive experiences in our life help to uh, support our gifts, but the unwrapping of our gifts comes from hard times, you know, whether that's putting in work and making sacrifices to follow your purpose and give time and energy to what your craft is, or if that's loss and grief. And, you know, We've talked about this before where it's like grief is a connector, like a deep connector between humans, because every human in some way or another experiences grief. You know, uh, some humans don't have a whole lot of positivity and stuff, but everyone can connect over loss and over grief and over that huge energy. And I also feel like when grief touches you, or comes into your life, it is like a storm. You know, it moves you. There's no ignoring it. There's no like shoving it in the drawer and taking it out in a week when you have time. Like it makes, it sits you down in your seat and it makes you be present, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think that this experience woke me up. It really, really woke me up. And I think that it was just, a divine alignment to being more purposeful and to making my presence more authentic yeah. and more connected. So I just give such thanks to all of my children, but Leah really came through in this year. You know, I still feel like I'm in the, the postpartum time and uh, still in sort of like her solar year of being in my body this June will be like a full solar year. And so I still very much feel her presence and feel her energy. And uh, I'm grateful for all the ways that I will continue to feel it. You know, it's very potent there at the beginning, but something I've learned from other mamas who've gone through this is the presence and the spirit continues to speak to you and speak through you. And also when you have a child loss, if you are, you know, a spiritual person, you start to see all the synchronicities and just like 
spirit speaks to you, you know, and nothing is not divine anymore. Like you feel it so potent because you've just been sort of baptized into this new vision and this new feeling of that life is sacred. You know, life is so sacred and so is death. Death is so sacred. And uh, what a gift that we can embody energy that can heal and support each other in this journey. You know, mm. I feel that. I feel that. Mm. Jayma, you are such an incredible storyteller. Uh, thank you for sharing some of your womb stories today, your birth stories, your womb wisdom, and the way that you share that with your daughter. Is there anything else that is stirring your soul or uh, something that makes you feel wild and alive that you would like to share before we close? I feel like Dancing, singing, chanting, moving, stretching, eating raw food, sipping on warm drinks, uh, being with my sisters, letting my dreadlocks hang low, (laughs) rubbing oils on my body, sacred showers, sacred baths, all these things, dancing around a fire all these things make me feel wild and alive. And I give thanks. I give thanks to be able to have this beautiful body to move and experience and hold and be held. Yeah. Yes. And I thank you. I thank you for awakening those things in me and reminding me of those things. I appreciate that. Mm, I love you. I love you. Thank you so much for joining us today. I hope the stories you heard stirred something in your soul and brought depth and connection to your heart. I lead monthly virtual gatherings that are my gift to the community. Each full moon, I create a sacred space for women to gather and connect over various topics, song, and dance. Every new moon, I hold a sacred space for mothers who have experienced the death of their wombling or baby. This is a safe place to express and share your unique stories of grief with other mothers walking a similar path. I am also a virtual and in-person radical keeper of birth and death. If you would like to gather one-on-one, I have offerings on my website, www.earthingnova.love. Please remember that clarity comes with practice. You will never know if you don't try. No one else would do it exactly like you. Your voice and presence are unique, never again to be repeated. Be brave, be bold, be love, be you.